0: And hello there, Peter Mansbridge here. You are just moments away from the latest episode of The Bridge. It's Thursday, that means it's your turn. Yes, we get to hear what you have to say. Right after this. Well, i got to say that uh, because we started late this week, Labor Day weekend and all... Um, With only a couple of days, I thought, after we've been off for two months, who knows if anybody's going to write. Well, you've been anxious to write, obviously, because there have been lots of correspondence coming through email uh, in the last couple of days. Uh, Some of it on the question that I posed, which is, you know, what did you learn about Canada this year? And some really interesting, thoughtful answers and questions uh, posed with those answers. Um, And... Also, uh, quite a bit of uh, mail and reaction to the Anita Anand interview on uh, Tuesday, the Minister of Defence, and some just general thoughts about various things. So we're going to get right to it. We also remind you, as I've mentioned a couple of times this week, we're having a new feature on Thursdays. Often, i got to tell you, what I love the letters, I've told you that before, um, good or bad, whether they like the program or don't like the program, whether they get upset with certain things or not. whether we make you smile, whether we make you laugh that's the idea on some of this stuff. Um, but what I what I've always wondered about well what would it be like if you know people read their letters? Well, that becomes a real technical issue and there's kind of problems with that. But I thought, well, here's an idea. Why don't I find somebody in the country who will be anonymous and we'll do a kind of random rant each week and we'll include it on Thursdays on the Your Turn Day? And I thought, okay, if I do that, where's this person going to be from? And I thought, well, you know, the main body of this program is done in Central Canada. So let's move it out a bit. First of all, let's try it for a while in Western Canada. And so that's what we're going to do today. The feature is called the Random Ranter. And the Random Ranter will talk about whatever that person wants to talk about. And they're coming, once again, from Western Canada. I'm not going to identify it any more than that. It's somewhere between Thunder Bay and Victoria, and it's just their thoughts on whatever the issue may be. So we'll play that later on in, uh, in today's Your Turn mailbag section. So let's get right at it. Um, let's talk about the Anita Anand interview. The Minister of Defense was good enough to join us on Tuesday, the debut show post-hiatus. And we had a good 35-minute discussion. At least I thought it was okay. Some of you thought it was okay. Some of you (laughs) didn't think it was okay. So let's hear what you have to say. Daryl Payne writes from St. John's, Newfoundland. I have to say I was so disappointed with the segment with Minister Anand. I remember how she was such a breath of fresh air when she first arrived on the federal political scene, but only heard another over-programmed stake minister talking in her interview. I appreciated how hard you attempted to bypass the canned answers, but to hear how she has bought into all the games and fake political persona was so disheartening. I feel her answers were the perfect examples of the clouded tone that so many Canadians hate. Everyone is so sick of the scripted talking points, identity politics, and the continued skirting answers." You know, to be fair, I did think she, you know, skirted some answers and we challenged her on those, but I didn't feel that she was scripted in the sense that, I mean, I can, when we do these interviews, we do them by Zoom so I can see her. And I've watched her in news, in news conferences, and I see her referring to her script all the time and the talking points answers that her department gives her. That is not what happened in our interview. She was talking off the top of her head. She was pausing to think through some of her answers. Um, but clearly at the time she, uh, you know, she retreated to the talking points and she ducked questions. There's no doubt about that. These type of interviews, going back to Darrell Payne's, um, comments, these type of interviews generally result to only further increase the average Canadian's apathy towards the current government and how stale the administration has become. I wonder how many people would love to hear a political interview as unfiltered and direct as we used to hear from John Crosby or George Baker. Well, they were two characters, and that's no doubt. But uh, trust me, as somebody who interviewed both of them uh, many times in the Crosby case, they were not a resistant to going to using scripted answers and uh and ducking ducking questions. Sure, they answered many of them directly and uh, in ways that we still talk about today. But they also were politicians, and they showed that many times. Anyway, Daryl, thanks for your uh, your note. Uh, Christine McDonald from LaSalle, Ontario. So pleased that you're back. I've really missed the conversation and balanced opinions and facts daily. Thank you, Christine. That's kind of you. Um, Don Robertson I was wondering in all of your years of journalism have you ever had a politician answer any of your questions directly and to the point has there ever been a simple yes or no or is such a thing just not possible I liked your conversation with Anita Anand but I knew right away as soon as you asked the question about procurement for the defense department why does it take so long what the answer wouldn't be Government bureaucracy and the process of dealing with contracts has always been slow, but I bet that it's worse nowadays because the companies it works with have to follow government rules about diversity and inclusiveness, and that takes a lot more time and money than it used to. Yeah, it does take more time, and I assume that means more money. But it's an important element of the modern-day Canada that we're trying to create. That was my little... Had on, It seems that doing a job and doing it right just isn't good enough anymore. I, you know, I'm not sure about that. I think that's unfair. Um, but I you know, I don't disagree with your opening point. How do you get a straight answer from a politician? A simple yes or no. Um, that, as we all know, is difficult. And it doesn't matter with their stripe. They're all... They're all the same in this. They're over-prepped. Ministers spend hours with communications people explaining to them how to handle questions, how to move the their answer to a different issue than the one being asked. They all do that. It doesn't matter what political stripe they are. Don Mitchell Um Don Robertson wrote, that last one wrote from Edmonton, I think. I'm uh, not sure if I mentioned that. But Don Mitchell uh, doesn't mention where he's writing from. Um, this will have a maritime focus, but here are things I wished you had asked, Anita Anand. Ukraine has taught us that logistics makes or breaks operations. Does she think that two supply ships are enough? Our maritime patrol aircraft is quickly reaching end of life. Will will we be fast-tracking E-8s, it's a type of maritime patrol aircraft, like our Aussie, Kiwi, Brits, and U.S. allies fly. The speed of change in defense systems are so fast that our Byzantine procurement system is unable to keep pace. Tinkering at the edges will do nothing to speed up delivery. I'm just guessing that Dawn is on the East Coast somewhere, but I could be wrong. Uh, Dave Kellett writes, he's from Ontario, I think. We've heard from Dave before. Hope you had a great summer, Peter. Well, half of it was great. The other half of it was COVID. When you were speaking to Anita Anand about procurement, I couldn't help but laugh when you responded um, that you'd heard her answers before about the jets, the F- F-18 replacements we have been waiting years, if not decades for. And she didn't answer the question about why it takes so long. And I don't mean with million-dollar items like jets and warships, but our military has been in need of new pistols for over thirty or over 20 years. I didn't know that. The fact that we can't procure something as cheap and simple as a pistol gives me little confidence that we're committed to jets. Uh, some more general um uh, questions here. Here's one from Ron Fisher from Barry, Ontario. Hi, Peter. It's great to have you back. I was wondering if you would talk about the current health crisis and the crazy ideas some are floating about privatization. Well, it's not crazy for everybody. Some people figure that there's some form of privatization is going to be the answer. Are we going to talk about it? Yeah, I'm sure we will. We already have. We just did. Uh, on one of the special summer editions of Good Talk uh, in the last couple of weeks. But I'm sure it's going to come up again. It's definitely a, a dominant issue as far as many uh, Canadians are concerned and many uh, provincial governments are concerned. So I think we'll be, uh, we'll be hearing more on that front. Um, Corey McQueen in Hamilton Um, actually, I'm just going to set Corey's note aside for a minute because that's uh, that'll work for after the break. Um, Tom Smith writes; he's from Nova Scotia, and this is a well, this is an interesting point he makes, and it it, it turned into a back and forth with uh, Bruce actually because he. He brought this up about something we mentioned yesterday on Smoke, Mirrors, and the Truth. Hi, Peter and Bruce. Love the show. Thanks so much for your wonderful, illuminating discussions. Well, with an opening line like that, you know the hammer's coming down fast. And here it comes. Your discussion of Polyev's simple language idea was misleading and careless. He did not propose to control speech in any way, but rather to change the way written government forms are composed which, if presented by another party, could be positioned as a triumph for accessibility, efficiency, and citizen engagement in the public sphere. In my industry, branding, we do this all the time. Every good brand does. It's just smart. And it wildly increases engagement and reduces barrier to entry. And yes, Bruce, we even do it with legally binding stuff. Shopped at Apple recently. It's easy to dislike an idea when it's coming from an irritating figure. But that idea is really, really good. Once it got in place, people would love it. Just imagine all your federal documents decluttered of legalese. And think about it from the perspective of people who, unlike you, do not have accountants and lawyers to do all of their clerical work. Cheap shot. That's assuming you think you know the truth. That segment was a big intellectual failure. So Tom really coming out swinging on this one. And that's good. We like that. Bruce responded, I must have said something a bit flipped that doesn't track with how I feel because I am definitely closer to your view and write advertising copy every day that follows that logic. And here's a piece I wrote today, and he sends off the piece that we talked about yesterday in The Observer. I do think Polyev's idea, especially since those guidelines already exist, underline that, and Bruce mentioned that yesterday, they already exist, was more performative than thoughtful. And I also think it's ironic for an anti-gatekeeper to be proposing to regulate language. But I take your point. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the kind words. Well, Tom wasn't going to leave it at that. He whipped back with a quick answer. I think you can infer I'm no stan or fan, I guess it must be a typo. I'm no fan of uh, Pierre Polyev. I have just noticed that this pervasive, dismissive tone about him on the part of journalists and presenters and Twitter. Twitter? Really? Really, Tom? That's what you go by? coupled with a surprising level of appeal amongst unexpected members of my peer cohort, old millennial. People are underestimating this guy big time. I don't think we've ever underestimated him. Right from the opening uh, volleys of this leadership campaign, we've talked about him in the front-runner position, why he was in the front-runner position, why he was gaining momentum. Um, did we challenge on certain things uh, he was saying and doing? Yes, just as we did with Sharay. I mean, we're going to find out this Saturday who the winner is. The assumption is it's uh, Polyev. But to suggest we have been dismissive and underestimated him, I I don't think is fair. Um, But I, I also think if you play back that section, that segment, it came out of a joke on Bruce, not on Polyev. And uh, we played that out. We try to have a little levity in the show. You know, it's helpful. But as Bruce says, we, uh, we take your point. Don't agree with it all, but we uh, do agree with some of it. Um, a. Carruthers is in Montreal, and this is what A. Carruthers writes. It would be great to hear the Good Talk panel discuss the proposed Quebec Language Bill 96. We have done that, by the way. We did it a number of times in the spring. It doesn't mean we won't do it again. Um, I'm concerned about my future here. Receiving basic human rights now seems at risk, and I know I'm not alone in this. To answer the question you posed in your last episode, what have we learned about Canada this summer, Unfortunately, I've learned that not everyone is equal and that all governments seem to be looking out for one and not all. All right. We will uh, keep that in mind, and I'm sure that it's going to come up again, uh, a discussion on it, and it may, it may very well come up this week on Good Talk for a bit if we get around to the uh, Quebec election. Um, we'll see. If, if not then, I'm sure... We'll find other times to talk about it again. Um, Okay. The best thing about the Carruthers uh, note, or one of the best things about the Carruthers note, is it helps lead us into the next segment, which is this question I threw out. What did you learn about Canada this year, this summer in particular? I got some really interesting and diverse answers on that question. We're going to get to that. And of course, we're also going to get to The Random Ranter. The debut take from The Random Ranter. That's coming up right after this. And welcome back. You're listening to uh, The Bridge. The Thursday edition, that means it's your turn. We're hearing your thoughts. And we're including a a new segment today, a little later on. Before we go, we will hear from the random ranter. An anonymous voice coming out of Western Canada this week. Talking about things that are on that person's mind. So we'll get to that in a moment. But uh, first of all, I want to hear from some of your answers to the question, what did you learn about Canada this summer? I threw that out a couple of days ago, and there's been a lot of response to that. I'm not going to read them all, as you know, on this Thursday edition. I don't read all the letters I get. I read a a reflection of the kind of comments that are coming in. And I don't read the whole letter always. I just may read a couple of sentences from it to get a taste of what different uh, listeners have to say. A reminder that you're listening to The Bridge on Sirius XM Canada, Channel 167, and on your favorite podcast platform. James Dole from Perth, Ontario. Here's what James has to write. What did I learn about Canada this summer? That's the question. How about what I learned about Canadians I learned much to my dismay that a lot of Canadians feel empowered to express hate and divisiveness at women, people of color, particularly Indigenous persons, journalists, and liberal politicians. I'd add that there were other politicians who got that kind of treatment this, this year as well, both Conservative and NDP. But continue on with Jim's letter. I think that these feelings have always existed, but now some far-right politicians have stoked those sentiments and convinced these people that it's acceptable to share them in whatever form they like. Very concerning, to say the least. I think a lot of people agree with you on that, James. It is concerning. And when we witness the kind of things, the, the attacks, the verbal abuse that has been heaped upon journalists especially female journalists the kind of abuse that's being hurled at uh, politicians of all stripes and at all levels that's not the Canada we thought we knew and what has to be done to change that back to the Canada we thought we knew Michael uh, Tettelbaum in Toronto. I just listened to your return from hiatus podcast featuring your conversation with Anita Anand, which was excellent. But that's not what he wanted to talk about. He wanted to talk about what he learned about Canada this year. And listen to this and uh, tell me it doesn't sound like a postcard. We took a trip this summer. It took us to the spectacular scenery of the Rockies. We started in Calgary, and then on to Canmore, Banff, Lake Louise, Emerald Lake in British Columbia, Jasper, and Edmonton. We visited the Columbia ice fields and walked on the Athabasca Glacier. The beauty of the lakes folded within the mountains was breathtaking. Some of the lakes were so still and the weather so lovely that we could see the mountains reflected on them. There were crowds as people had began to travel again, and there was still a serenity and peacefulness that I was able to absorb when looking at the majestic views. Albertans were welcoming and friendly and included people who had moved there from other parts of the country, including my home of Toronto. If I can get political for a moment, it showed that we all have a common heritage and birthright, whether we were born here, or have chosen to emigrate to our wonderful country. And that, as Christian Freeland said after the despicable encounter she had, Alberta is filled with kind and welcoming people, as is all of Canada. Let's hope that we can get past the hate and nastiness displayed by some, and continue to enjoy the benefits and beauty of our great country and the people in it. You know, Michael, I think... uh, Those comments are shared by everybody, and I think what is also shared by a lot of people is the envy that they have of your trip this summer. I mean, I know thousands, tens of thousands of people take that that trip, and they're never disappointed. That trip through uh, western Alberta into parts of BC is spectacular. It's uh, jaw-dropping. I've done it. You know, many times, both for work and for pleasure. And those are sites you never forget, ever. Speaking of Alberta, Julie Rind writes from Calgary. This summer, I was in Terrace, B.C., where I drove through the Niska Memorial Lava Bed Provincial Park. Never heard of that before. Nass Valley, for short, along Highway 113, it's a gorgeous area, parkway with many lakes and waterfalls, but also covered in fields of lava from a volcanic eruption over 260 years ago. At the end of the highway, the indigenous village of Jingwa is there to greet you with warm hospitality, great ocean views, and some good fish and chips at the indigenous owned You See Food You Eat it restaurant. The beauty of the drive rivals the Icefield Parkway, much more twisty, turny, but with much less tourism and commotion. I knew there was so much to Canada that I have never heard about, especially in what is considered to be our more northern communities. But I didn't realize how much I had been missing. This one drive taught me Canadian geological, geographical and Indigenous history I had never known together with the pristine wilderness, was breathtaking. We have such a vast country to explore, and I'll be heading north much more. Well, you know what I've said many times on this podcast and elsewhere, that the north is a gift we have that so many of us never have the opportunity to see in person. Uh, it's expensive to travel north. It is a significant distance, so there's a commitment on time. Um, but it's you know, you kind of grow up thinking, well, you know, the Arctic—it's all flat and ice. It isn't all flat and ice. It is spectacular, especially when you get into the high Arctic. It's uh, it's quite something. It's uh, it's really really spectacular. Um, I have kind of remember that letter from earlier, right? There was one earlier that I put aside and said, you know, I've, I've got to come back to this because here it is. It's Corey McQueen's letter from Hamilton. Here's what Corey had to say. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hi, Peter. My take on what I learned about Canada this year. The disdain for Prime Minister Trudeau is not limited to our borders. In line for Westminster Abbey this year, London, of course, I was taken aback by security asking me, that guy Trudeau, what's he smoking? I was left a little speechless. All I could do was shrug. However, the reputation of our general population remains strong. I'm usually quick to correct people when they ask if I'm American, and their reaction is generally favorable and almost humorous. I'm sure you know what I mean, and I do know what you mean. It happens, you know. You know that I spend um, a chunk of time in Scotland every year, and it, you know, it, one of the one of the luxuries for me is being able to travel in areas where I'm not recognized. I don't mind being recognized. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still honored that people remember what what I used to do if they bump into me on the street or an airport or shopping center, what have you. Um, but it's nice also to be somewhere where you're not recognized, right? Because of your, your work on television. So that's one of the benefits of, of the many benefits that exist uh, for going to Scotland. But anyway, what happens quite often for me and other Canadians, you know, like uh, Corey is you get into a conversation with somebody and they look at you and they say, so what part of the States are you from? And usually what I do is I, I look at them and I say, well, actually I'm not from the States. I'm from Canada. And when we're asked that kind of question, it's like looking at you, Mr. Scottish person and saying, so what part of England are you from? That always goes over real nice. Anyway, it's wonderful to be acknowledged when you tell people you're from Canada. Uh, Tish Whitfield in Barry's Bay, Ontario. What did I notice about Canada this year? I've noticed something different in our area of Ontario. We have a cottage in the Mattawaska Valley near the beautiful town of Barry's Bay. Our family has cottaged in this area for 65 years. I spent a lot of time outside in the summer, and the difference I have noticed is the disappearance of the regular annoying flies and bugs. The latter part of May and June is blackfly season, and July and August we are usually annoyed by deer flies and horse flies that have a big bite. And they sure do but not this year and not last year. Yes, we had a few, but nothing like what we've experienced in the previous 63 years. What interests me is why? What's changed? How will the birds, dragonflies and bats be affected by this sudden change in their food supply? Maybe it is climate change It is more pleasant without them, but it does worry me that the change was so quick. I would love to know if anyone else has experienced this and if anyone knows why this is happening. Um, Tisha, could be climate change. i I got to tell you, though, that I, I've noticed over my tan, time um, spending at, uh, at the, the lake that I go to in, in the Gatineau Hills, north of Ottawa, Different summers often bring different situations in terms of, uh, uh, of wildlife. I mean, some summers, you hear the frogs at night or in the evening, loud and clear from coming from the other side of the lake, a, a side of the lake that, that doesn't have uh, any cottages. And then the next summer, you might not hear them at all. And you go, oh my gosh, if the... You know, have the frogs, toads, have they all gone? But then they're back. Uh, I've never had the luxury of not having black flies early in the season and not having deer flies in usually in July in our area. That seems to happen, you know, perhaps up and down in terms of frequency, the numbers the, the, you're facing. But there are changes, you know, there are changes where the turtle's play out. Sometimes they're by the dock. Sometimes you don't see them at all in the whole summer. And you worry, are they gone? Well, the next year they're back. So there's, you know, there the are different habits and different patterns. But um, I guess what I've always retreated to, I would be Devastated if when I return to my lake, I don't hear the loons. If the loons weren't there, nothing would be the same. But the loons are there every year. And they go through their normal patterns of having young and teaching them to fly near the end of the summer, and then they're gone. And then they're back again in the spring. Same loons, same light. At least that's what they tell me. Um, here's the last letter. Don't forget we're getting to the random rinter, And this one comes from our old friend. He writes all the time and he's usually respectfully critical of something that I've said. He always seems to get his little shot in there somewhere. It's David Oliver from Oak Bay, British Columbia. Out on Vancouver Island. David writes, things I learned this summer, partly inspired by your podcast about the Arctic. That's, so that's a check mark. That's good. I've, I've done well by David. I was reading about Henry Larson's voyages when a familiar name jumped off the page, Bellot Strait. You had mentioned it as a passage only wide enough for a small vessel like a canoe, if I recall correctly. That's the shot. I'm not sure I ever said that. I said it might look like that, particularly on a map. But I've, you know, I've been through Bellot Strait. I, I know how wide it is and I know what can get through there. And I know that some Coast Guard vessels have done that. And uh, when it's not clogged by ice and often each year it's clogged by ice right through the summer months. Anyway, back to Davidson. Apparently, it's wide enough for Larson to take his 100-foot schooner, the St. Rock, through on his first voyage in 1940-41. By the way, the St. Rock is preserved at the Vancouver Maritime Museum, and it certainly is. Yeah, I remember the Bellot Strait. It, it, there's a real history to it. One side of the Bellot Strait is the northernmost... Uh, position of the northern North American continent. In other words, if the Panama Canal didn't exist, and it's not natural, so... But there was a time where you could walk from the bottom tip of South America straight up to that spot at Bellet Strait, and you would have traversed the entire length of the two American continents... And I've stood there, and it's quite something. The other side of the of the Bellot Strait is uh, I think it's Somerset Island. I know if I'm wrong, David will write and tell me that. But I've uh, I've been to that spot, and it's uh, it's special. And um, one day I'll tell you the story if I didn't already. The story of Bellot, the person who it's named after. Because it's, it's one of those great northern stories, one of those great Arctic stories. All right. That's it for your letters. Now, let me just once again explain, because I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way. What I wanted to do was try and, on a weekly uh, basis, on Thursdays, is try and add a little sound of... Thoughts from a random ranter. You know, I get lots of ranters in uh, the letters that come in, and I don't say that in a negative way. I love it. Um, and so what we're going to try out here, and give it a few weeks before you dump all over it. But I like this idea. Our random ranter this week is from Western Canada. probably going to use him for a little while doing some random rants. But he's from Western Canada. I won't be more specific than that. It means somewhere between Thunder Bay and Victoria. And he's leapt on immediately. The news of the day came out last night. You probably heard it. And I'm sure we'll talk about it tomorrow on Good Talk with Chantal and Bruce. The Prime Minister has decided... He's staying. He's not going anywhere. He's going to fight another election three years down the road. If you heard the Tuesday podcast broadcast of the bridge, you might have heard me say, I'm changing my mind about what Trudeau's going to do. I thought he'd be gone this year. I think he's going to stay. Well, guess what? He must have heard that and said, okay, I'll stay. Anyway, not everybody is excited about the idea of him staying. That includes The Random Ranter.
1: The big news of the day is out. It's official. Trudeau's running again. Let me give you a Western perspective. Boo! Personally, I can't stand the way Trudeau talks, and it's not really what he says. It's how he says it. His brand of political correctness is overly flowery, if not downright sickeningly saccharine. It's dripping in syrup, and it's not even maple syrup. It's pure corn. The guy's a drama teacher. He just can't say what he means. He's got to paint us all a pretty picture with his words first. Easterners just can't comprehend how damaged the liberal brand is out west. True story. I was at an ag event on the prairies. Nothing but farmers. They asked me who I was there with, and as a joke, I said, uh, I'm, I'm here on behalf of the federal liberal party. I couldn't even get it out straight. I was kind of scared. The room went silent. You could have heard a pin drop. Then my buddy jumped in nervously and announced I was just a jokester having some fun. Farmers love jokesters, not, and I was, but even, even knowing I'd get a reaction, I didn't expect it to be quite that chilly. Out West, there's still people holding a grudge over the metric system. Even my own dad does some kind of crazy math every time I tell him the temperature, and he blames the liberals. But the bottom line is, Justin Trudeau is doing us no favors by running again. He thinks he's the only person who can save the country from the looming threat of Pierre Polyev. But what does that say about Justin? He's surrounded himself with an impressive array of ministers, many of whom have leadership aspirations, and most of whom are women. Strong, capable women. Doesn't he think Freeland or Anand would be up for the challenge? Or in his mind, is this a job only a man can do? Pierre and Justin are two sides of the same shallow coin. Where Justin is sickly sweet, Pierre is trollingly smug. It would be a horrible coin to have to flip come election time. Justin, don't do it. (laughs) Well, there you go.
0: The Random Ranter, Segment 1, Episode 1. Listen, I thought it was it was fun. And to drop it in the middle of some of your letters, and some of your letters do the same take on Justin Trudeau as you just heard from the Random Ranter. Not all, and certainly not all Westerners, but quite a few of them. Anyway, we'll hear from the Random Ranter again, and uh, we're kind of... Add it to the collection of thoughts that come out, usually by me reading your letters, but uh, this one is a little different. So let's have fun with it. That's the idea. Okay. um, Tomorrow, good talk. Have you been anxious for a little good talk? Well, I have, and listen, there's stuff to talk about. Obviously, we'll talk about the Trudeau decision to stay, what that means, what it means within the party, what it means for the country. We'll have a good discussion on that with Chantal Hébert and Bruce Anderson. Plus, Saturday, the Conservatives make up their mind. The vote is announced. Will it be Pierre Paliev, as everyone expects? Or will Jean Charest have found a way to sneak up and grab the top position? It's an interesting race. We've discussed it many times about the point system on how you achieve delegates for the final vote count. Could there be a surprise on Saturday? And if there isn't, what should we expect from Polyev on that day? As Bruce mentioned the other day, this could be the biggest speech he gives for the next couple of years in terms of nationwide attention. Because once he becomes opposition leader, and there's no election in sight, you don't get a lot of coverage. Saturday, he'll get coverage. Does he begin to pivot back from the positions he's taken during the leadership campaign to positions that may be more agreeable to the population at large? We'll see. We may get a hint of that on Saturday. But we'll talk about those possibilities. and. Other things, there's an election going on in Quebec, and it's been controversial, especially in the last couple of days. So we'll uh, we'll talk about some of that on Good Talk tomorrow. And for now, that's going to be it for The Bridge, the Your Turn Edition for this Thursday. I'm Peter Mansbridge. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again in 24 hours.